0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. Blinken okays attacks on Russia with U.S.-provided missiles. So Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Sunday that it was up to Ukraine whether or not to target Russian territory with U.S.-provided weapons. And this is a policy that clearly brings the U.S. and Russia closer to a direct clash. So, Blinken made these comments after ABC News reported that it's likely the Biden administration will soon arm Ukraine with the Army Tactical Missile Systems, known as ATACMS, and they have a range of up to 190 miles, so that would more than double Ukraine's current strike capability, and these would be for use with the HIMARS rocket systems. So, he made these comments while appearing on ABC's The Week, or this week on Sunday. Blinken was asked if he was okay with Ukraine using attackums to hit targets deep inside Russian territory. Blinken's reply was, quote, in terms of their targeting decisions, it's their decision, not ours, end quote. And this is a pretty big departure from comments he's made earlier in the war saying that, You know, they've gotten assurances from Ukraine that they're not going to use U.S.-provided missiles in attacks on Russian territory. Now those concerns are just gone. The, The risk of escalation, the Biden administration just doesn't seem to care about. And when he was asked about the increasing Ukrainian drone attacks inside Russia, Blinken repeated the line that the administration has been saying, saying that the U.S. does not encourage or enable the operations inside Russia. However, I mean, if they do provide them with the attackums, they certainly will be enabling Ukraine to hit targets inside Russian territory, you know, with these missiles. And there's evidence that the U.S. and its allies are helping Ukraine with these drone attacks inside Russian territory. The Economist recently reported that Ukrainian drone attacks on Russia frequently use intelligence gathered by Kiev's Western backers. So as the war has dragged on, the Biden administration has been less and less concerned about the risk of Ukrainian attacks inside Russia escalating the war. The administration previously feared that Russia could respond to such attacks by targeting a NATO country or potentially using a tactical nuclear weapon. The U.S. has also brushed off Russian warnings against providing Ukraine with longer-range missiles. Moscow has previously called providing them a red line. And according to a U.S. official who spoke with ABC News, the attack the atasims are on their way, is essentially what this official said. He said that they are coming. So they might be announcing a new and an upcoming arms package for Ukraine. I know initially the U.S. didn't want to give them because they were worried about escalation concerns, but they don't care about that anymore. The thing that's been holding them up is that a lot of people in the Pentagon think that the U.S. doesn't have enough to give Ukraine. Um, but you know they've basically sent everything that they've previously ruled out before, and the atascums are the next step, and just huge risk of escalation. And you know the lack of concern, uh, you know about escalation, <laughs> appears to be based on the fact that up to this point, Russia has not targeted a NATO country or a NATO base in Poland or used a tactical nuke. They just say, ah, he hasn't done anything yet. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep going. That's that seems to be the attitude in Washington. All right. So the next one here, Milley says that time is running out for Ukraine's counteroffensive. So chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, said on Sunday that Ukraine's counteroffensive could only have 30 to 45 days left before the assault is hindered by weather. And Milley said this in comments to BBC. He said, "Quote: There's still a reasonable amount of time, probably about 30 to 45 days worth of fighting weather left, so the Ukrainians are not done. There's battle not done. They haven't finished the fighting part of what they're trying to accomplish. End quote. So Milly said that it was still too early to tell if the counteroffensive had failed, and claimed that Ukrainian forces were progressing at a very steady pace through the Russian front lines. But since this counteroffensive was launched in early June, Ukraine has not regained a significant amount of territory. They've made some small incremental gains. They claim that they broke through Russian lines in Zaporozhye, but um, you know, on the other side, you have Russia claiming that they're inflicting huge casualties on the Ukrainians and I put in this map from South Front and this is the military situation in Ukraine on September 11th which was Sunday and you could see that there's fighting along basically the entire front so there's a lot of fighting still going on but you know if you look at this line the Russian controlled areas are highlighted in red Ukrainian in blue you know this these lines battle lines have barely changed since early June since this counteroffensive was launched So U.S. officials, so you have Milley saying on one hand, you know, they're not finished yet. Although he has been a bit more uh, forthcoming with the media than other Biden administration officials. Like you have Blinken and Sullivan saying, no, you know, it's a, you know, that Ukraine is winning the war, that, you know, Russia's losing. Milley hasn't, you know, been saying things like that, but he's still trying to put a positive spin on this. And then on the other hand, we've had all these media reports, you know, quoting anonymous U.S. officials who have been more candid about Ukraine's failing offensive, with some telling the Washington Post that U.S. intelligence has determined it's going to be a failure because they're not going to meet the main objective of punching through to sever Russia's land bridge to Crimea. And even then, even if they did break through, the question is, could they hold that position? And This just reminded me of a Newsweek report from last month, about mid-August, that said Ukrainian leadership was divided on how to move forward in light of the faltering counteroffensive. Some officials wanted to consolidate what small gains they've made to prepare for an expected Russian offensive this winter, while others wanted to press on. So it looks like, you know, about a month later, the ones who wanted to press on won the debate. Because uh, the fighting has continued, and it looks like Ukraine is taking very heavy losses. Millie also said, "Quote: I said at the very beginning of this that this was going to be long, slow, hard, and high casualty producing, and that's exactly what it is." End quote. If you remember last fall, Milly was calling for peace talks after Ukraine made gains in the Kharkiv and Kherson regions, and. You know, after those kind of unexpected gains made by Ukraine, I guess Millie was thinking this is probably the best they're going to do. This is a good, a good time for peace talks. But the State Department, led by Antony Blinken and the White House National Security Council, led by Sullivan, they opposed the idea. And the U.S. and its allies prepared Ukraine for this counteroffensive that they essentially knew was going to be a failure based on lots of media reports and the Discord leaks. Um, so that's where we're at now. Lots of Ukrainians are dead, and they have don't have much to show for it. Um, all right, so the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute. Zelensky blames the West for failed counteroffensive. So Zelensky said that his Western backers failed to supply Ukraine with weapons in a timely manner, allowing Russia to build up its defenses. The delay is responsible for Ukraine's lack of progress during its three-month-long counteroffensive, according to Zelensky. And this was in, in an interview that he did with CNN's Fareed Zakaria. Zelensky said, quote, We waited too long. It's true. No, I'm thankful to partners to the United States, EU, other partners. I'm thankful very much to President Biden and to Congress, but we have to understand we waited too long and they put mines, end quote. So that's, you know, Zelensky has said this before, and it's just funny to see him complaining about this because during the whole buildup to the counteroffensive, you know, the U.S. was announcing shipping a lot of weapons over there, but it was never enough for the Ukrainians, for Zelensky and, uh, you know, his top officials. And he was saying that Western arms often do not arrive in Kiev for some time after Western nations announce they plan to provide weapons. He said, quote, Then when we be ready from the point of view from our partners, because the decision to give us, for example, Bradley fighting vehicles and other kinds of weapons, the decision, it doesn't mean the result, end quote. So he's saying, you know, when the U.S. announced they were going to give Abrams tanks, that was a while ago. I mean, that was, I believe, in January um, of this year, maybe before that. And they still haven't gotten the Abrams tanks. It looks like they're probably going to arrive very soon, though. Um, So that's what he's complaining about. Uh, But again, the U.S. was shipping tons of weapons straight from Pentagon stockpiles that whole time. All right. So the next one here is very interesting. Stoltenberg says that Putin invaded Ukraine because of NATO. So NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg acknowledged last week that Russian President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine last year to prevent NATO from expanding into the country. Stoltenberg said this in comments to EU Parliament officials. He said, quote, The background was that President Putin declared in the autumn of 2021 and actually sent a draft treaty that they wanted NATO to sign to promise no more NATO enlargement. That was what he sent us and was a precondition for not invading Ukraine. Of course, we didn't sign that, end quote. So very interesting What he's saying here and what he's referring to is a series of security proposals that Russia sent to the U.S. and NATO in December 2021. And chief among Russia's demands was a guarantee that Ukraine would never join NATO, an issue that the Biden administration refused to address. And there was a lot of other things in there. Uh, Russia wanted NATO to roll back its military infrastructure from countries that joined the alliance after the Cold War. They wanted some stuff with arms control. But, you know, those th- those proposals were a starting off point for negotiations. The one thing that the U.S. offered was related to arms control was inspections on the missile systems in Poland and Romania that Russia's not happy about. Um, but, again, they did not engage on the chief uh, demand, which was Ukrainian NATO membership and just the enlargement of NATO. But, again, it's just very interesting to see Stoltenberg say this. Um, And he made these comments when discussing Finland's recent admittance into NATO and Sweden's expected membership. He said that the opposite of what Putin wanted to happen after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Stoltenberg said, quote, so he went to war to prevent NATO, more NATO, close to his borders. He has got the exact opposite. He has got more NATO presence in eastern part of the alliance. And he has also seen that Finland has already joined the alliance and Sweden will soon be a full member, end quote. So explicitly saying that Putin invaded to prevent NATO being closer to its borders. Um, And Finland does share a huge border with Russia. So um, and they joined after the war after the invasion and Sweden should be joining soon. They're just waiting for Turkey and Hungary's parliaments to reconvene and they're expected to approve them. Uh, but Stoltenberg's comments contradict the claim made constantly by the U S government and many media outlets that the Russian invasion of Ukraine was unprovoked. They want to say NATO expansion post cold war had nothing to do with it. Um, and Stoltenberg mentioned other proposals put forward by Russia before the invasion He said, quote, he wanted us to remove our military infrastructure and all allies that have joined NATO since 1997, meaning half of NATO, all the Central and Eastern Europe. We should remove NATO from that part of our alliance, introducing some kind of second class membership. We rejected that, end quote. Again, they rejected the main thing, which was, well, didn't even address it. And I linked to an article from Responsible Statecraft about a Biden administration official admitting that the U.S. refused to address Ukraine and NATO before the Russian invasion. They didn't even try to negotiate on this issue. And, you know, that goes to show if they really wanted to prevent this war, they would have tried everything. They would have tried diplomacy, really pursued it instead of what the U.S. did was just offer some arms control stuff Um, and... I have, to th- I have to thank uh, Caitlin Johnstone because I got that article from... She wrote that up. I probably would have missed it in the shuffle uh, from all the days I missed. Um, so Also, the blinking, the first story she, I got from her as well. So thanks to her for keeping on top of things. Um, all right. So the next one here, NATO says no risk of Romania being dragged into war. So NATO Deputy General Secretary Mircea Giona... And I'm probably butchering his name. I meant to look it up before I started. I apologize for mispronouncing that, which I'm sure I did. But anyway, he said that there was no risk uh, that NATO member Romania would be dragged into the Russia-Ukraine war after Bucharest said drone fragments were found on Romanian territory. So Russia has been targeting Ukrainian ports on the Danube River a narrow waterway that acts as a border between Romania and Ukraine. Despite the discovery of drone fragments in Romania, um, NATO is saying that there's no indication of an intentional Russian attack on NATO. So if you remember last week, I went over that Ukraine claimed during these Russian bombardments on the Ukrainian port of Ismail, which is just across the water from Romania, you know, very close. And I've been covering these Russian attacks on this area because it does certainly risk escalation. It's so close to NATO, to a NATO member's uh, territory. So Ukraine claimed that a Russian drone hit Romanian territory. The Romanian defense ministry came back and strongly, very strongly denied the claim, as I covered and then a few days later, Romanian officials said that they found a drone fragments in Romanian territory. Uh, but So this is NATO's deputy secretary general, and he is a former Romanian foreign minister. He said, quote, the most important thing is to reconfirm the fact that there was no indication of a deliberate action by Russia to strike Romanian territory and therefore NATO territory, end quote. So at least NATO is, you know, not looking for a reason to go to intervene directly in this war and go to war with Russia. Unlike Ukraine, which I think very much wants that to happen. um, That's probably why they came public with this, uh, you know, claim that a Russian drone hit Romanian territory, you know, immediately went to the press instead of, you know, speaking about it with Romania beforehand. Um, And they, and Romanian authorities, the Romanian government has not accused Russia of a deliberate attack they're not happy with it, of course. They called it an unacceptable violation of the sovereign airspace of Romania with real risks to the security of the country and the citizens in the area. But they're not saying Russia attacked us directly. Um, and I have to mention when we're talking about this that, you know, how Ukrainian officials have previously accused Russia of targeting NATO territory in an effort to provoke the alliance's direct involvement in the war. If you remember last year, when a Ukrainian air defense missile hit Poland and killed two people, Zelensky and his top aides said it was a Russian missile. They tried to portray it as a deliberate Russian attack, said NATO must intervene when they must have known that it was a Ukrainian air defense missile. Luckily, the U.S. and Poland quickly refuted that claim and did not go along uh, with that you know, provocation or false flag, whatever you want to call it. All right, so the next one here, U.S. and Canadian warships sail through the Taiwan Strait. So a U.S. and Canadian warship sailed through the Taiwan Strait on Saturday, and this, of course, was condemned by China's People's Liberation Army, the PLA. So the U.S. Navy's 7th Fleet said that the guided missile destroyer USS Ralph Johnson made the transit along with the Canadian frigate. HMCS Ottawa. Um so US transits of the Taiwan Strait are pretty common. Uh they happen at least five or six times a year, sometimes more than that. In recent years, they've been doing them more, but uh the thing that has changed as well is that they do it with other countries like Canada they you know this is like the, the third time at least that i know within the past two or three years that the us has sailed through the taiwan strait with a canadian warship as well so that angers china more you know bringing more us allies into these provocations especially another north american country that's very far from the taiwan strait um and we've also seen the us coast guard starting to sail through the taiwan strait long way from the American coast. So a spokesman for the PLA said that the U.S. and Canada hyped up their latest Taiwan Strait transit and that Chinese troops were on high alert in response. On Monday, a Chinese aircraft carrier sailed about 60 nautical miles to the south of Taiwan and the South China Morning Post reported citing analysts in Taiwan and China that this was likely a response to the U.S. and Canadian transit through the Taiwan Strait and other U.S. military activity in the region. So the U.S. is there, you know, does all these transits through the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea and is increasing support for Taiwan in the name of deterrence. But it's just leading to more Chinese military activity in the region. Um, that's just the pattern that we're seeing here. That seems like it's going to continue, um, you know, with no end in sight. So the next one here: North Korea's Kim to meet with Putin in Russia. So this article is another one from Kyle at the Libertarian Institute. North Korean leader Kim Jong Un is headed to Russia to meet with President Vladimir Putin, and the U.S. is threatening sanctions on Pyongyang on North Korea in response. So Dmitry Pezkov, the Kremlin spokesman, described the meeting as a full state visit. So he's going to get the full treatment while he's in Russia. And South Korea says that Kim is currently traveling to Russia by train. U.S. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller said that Washington plans to respond aggressively uh, if... North Korea. He's he's threatening more sanctions on North Korea if North Korea uh, gives Russia weapons or sells Russia weapons or whatever the situation is. And what Kyle points out here is, who know, can the U.S. really do more to North Korea? I mean, they're under so many U.S. and UN sanctions. I just can't imagine what you know the U.S. could really do. It's just they're just threatening. You know, the only thing that they know how to do, which is use force to try to solve a problem. You know, never. Uh, considering diplomacy to, you know, ease tensions with Russia and North Korea. Um, all right. So the next one here, Niger, says that France is amassing troops in ECOWAS states. So this article is from Al Jazeera. Uh, Niger's military has accused France of gathering forces and equipment in several West African countries with a view to launching a military intervention against Niamey. So Colonel Amadou abd is a spokesman for Niger's coup leaders. He made the claim on national television late on Saturday. He said that France was continuing to deploy its forces in member countries of the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, as part of preparations for an aggression against Niger. French military cargo aircraft have enabled large quantities of war material and equipment to be unloaded in Senegal, Ivory Coast, and Benin, to name but a few, he said. The claim claim came as tensions between Niger and France, its former colonial power, rise in the wake of a military coup on July 26th. Um, So in Niger's capital of Niamey, thousands of people have been holding near-daily demonstrations around a military base housing French soldiers, telling them to leave. France has about 1,500 soldiers in the country. Last week, as I went over, there was reports that said Paris was in talks with the uh, Niger junta about withdrawing some elements of its presence in Niger. Uh, We haven't seen anything like that happen yet. So there's definitely still the risk here of this ECOWAS, you know, U.S. and French backed ECOWAS invasion of Niger. The risk is still there. Hopefully uh, it doesn't happen. All right, so the last story in the news section here is another one from Kyle. Poland OK's framework for massive HIMARS purchase, and this is an example of how the war in Ukraine has really been a boon for U.S. arms makers. Poland is really building up its military, and they took another step toward buying nearly 500 HIMARS launchers manufactured by Lockheed Martin. And this sale is part of this massive Polish military buildup. So deliveries are expected to begin in 2025. And in February, the State Department approved the sale, which is worth $10 billion in these HIMARS rocket launchers, which have become very popular since the U.S. has been providing them to Ukraine. Um... So this is definitely, again, just Lockheed Martin. The heavy hitters when it comes to the U.S. arms makers are Lockheed Martin, Raytheon. Of course, there's also General Dynamics, Boeing, Northrop Grumman. But you just always seem to see Lockheed Martin and Raytheon are really really cashing in on this uh, war and the buildup, you know, European countries spending more on their military. Uh, That is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Jonathan Cook. The West's blueprint for goading China was laid out in Ukraine. One from Ron Paul, why are we in Niger? Which is a very good question. One from Ben Armbrister, why blind optimism leads the U.S. astray on Ukraine. And that's over at Responsible Statecraft. One from Philip Weiss at Mondo Weiss. Apartheid, says Tom Friedman. And our... Spotlight, the war on terror lives on 22 years after 9-11. That's from Amin Lutfi and Kevin Schwartz over at Responsible Statecraft. And, um, you know, when I recorded yesterday and I I didn't realize it was September 11th when I, until I said the date, I haven't really talked about it much, but I think it is important. You know, most of my coverage lately has been focused on Ukraine and, uh, you know, the China-Taiwan situation. But the terror wars that were launched and in the wake of 9-11 are still going on. I mean, I do cover the drone war in Somalia. Uh, the U.S. is still in Syria and Iraq. And, you know, that's all this presence in Africa, that why U.S. troops are in Niger. It's all in the name of the terror wars that have been a complete failure Um, So it's just important, you know, to point out to people when you talk about these things that we're still there. We're still drone bombing people using that authorization for the use of military force that was passed in the wake of the 9-11 attacks. We're drone bombing groups like al-Shabaab and ISIS and, you know, innocent people that are caught in the middle who had nothing to do, who didn't even exist. You know, al-Shabaab didn't exist on 9-11. Neither did ISIS. So uh, it's important to point that out. Uh, But that's everything for today. Uh, You could always support the show, sharing it around, uh, telling your friends about it, like and subscribe on YouTube, comment. Um, I've been getting more views on YouTube. My goal is to get like consistently over a thousand views per day on YouTube. That would be nice. So if you could help me uh, share it around that way. Uh, Most people listen to the audio version, but people see the YouTube views, you know, so I'd like them to be a little higher. Um, But uh, that's it for me for today. Again, uh, thank everybody for the support, helping us with the fundraiser, for the congratulations about the baby. It really means a lot. I'll be back tomorrow with some more news for you. Thanks for listening.